Hey, I'm Alyssa. I'm Jam. And I'm a chemist. And I'm not. And welcome to Chemistry for Your Life. The podcast helps you understand the chemistry of your everyday life. Bonus, Bonus edition. edition. <laughs> I'm sorry. I was like, I was like, what do I say next? I don't know what <laughs> happened. And I thought it was really funny that I, so, so sorry about that. Not smooth intro. Okay, so today for the bonus episode, we are going to talk about metals, and then we're going to take a little dive into sort of like an annex of our learning styles conversation. Okay. So are you ready for it? I'm very ready for it. All right. Take oh, it away. Also, I was going to say, too, you guys can probably tell Melissa's sick again. Uh, I know. So forgive the sniffles and the coughs and stuff like that. I but. am really sorry. And don't worry. I did take several days off to rest. I'm not like powering through. I feel much better now. But there's just congestion left over, you know, but I feel like when I woke up this morning, I felt like a normal person. I had to take medicine today, but I did. And I was out for a few days. I also feel like putting the headphones on and doing this and hearing you right now, it's way more obvious than just when we're talking. Yeah. Without headphones. Something about, you know, recording it in a, with a high quality thing. Yeah. Like, I'm like, oh, I can hear the difference way more strongly than I could with these off, but. Yeah. Okay, well, so in real life, it doesn't. Also, yeah. so my roommate has dogs, and lately she's <laughs> leaving something on so the dogs don't bark. Mm. And I was like, um, well, if you're just going to leave YouTube on, it should be on our podcast channel so that we get watch hours, right? Nice. So I just put it on our channels, like kind of as a joke, but also I was like, might as well. And then left. Uh-huh. And then when I came back, it was still on, and I... And Mason was just standing there watching it. <laughs> and I was like, what are you doing? He's like, oh, your conversation was interesting. <laughs> just so, <him> in. <laughs> so he did uh, watch it. But also the episode that he happened to watch, I've never seen this one before, but uh-huh. I think it was a bonus episode or something, but your hair was a little bit messed up on the mic. Oh, yeah, yeah. And you like zoomed yep. in on it. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought that was hilarious. These are the kind of things that's funny because like our, the section of the podcast, the parts we work on, like- you know, I'm editing it and I'm not going to be like, Hey Melissa, will you go watch this entire thing real quick or whatever? And sometimes it's like late at night that I'm doing it. Like that specific night I did that. Like I was finishing that one at 1am or something. Yeah. And so I, I saw that as I was playing it back cause it, it was on this side. You couldn't see it. Of no, course I couldn't I can't. see it. I can't, I can't see that side. of. Yeah. My... Even when I turn this way, it's like, so I saw that. Thankfully I fixed it about a minute uh, <laughs> in, but I was like, I gotta at least draw attention to this because it's pretty funny. Yeah. And, uh, but if I don't, then you think of like, people are going to be like, Hey, Jim's hair is messed up. Like yeah, someone's going to comment yeah, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. which is like, <laughs> of course I know it's messed up. I cannot. I give you permission to do that same thing yeah. to me. If I ever have a thing that's messed up. I think it's funny Cause it's like, we're owning it. Just like, yeah. Hey, look at, if you didn't already notice, look at this thing that's messed up. Yeah. 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 You know? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it was pretty good. And that made me laugh. I, I like that. That's the one he was on. Cause that was our most recent one as of this recording at least most recent one that came out oh nice Uh, so anyway (laughs) i think i just like i don't even know how i ended up like which one i ended up picking but i was like hey yeah (laughs) and also then the doggies have their friend it's like they know uh, both of us nice you can also go to a playlist for the dogs to be able to listen and watch us or a playlist of just our our video episodes and it'll just play them end to end so you can just do that do we have a playlist of that we do because the that's the way it works for uh, it working on YouTube's podcast app. Oh. So I have to put them in a playlist. Oh. Um, so all of them are, it's like not like exclusively there. So it's like it's yeah. on its own and also in a playlist. 
but that's how it knows which ones are podcast episodes. If we were to say be a channel that uploaded a bunch of other stuff too, yeah, including like our shorts, for instance, like you can have a playlist of shorts. I think oh. we're obviously not putting those in the playlist, so they're not. It's not making those be these a bunch of little tiny short podcast episodes. So. Anyway. Well, for those of you who have dogs and like to leave TV on for them, just shout out. You, you could do it on our podcast playlist now. Yep. hundred percent. Okay, great. So let's get into the question. Okay. Sounds good. This first question is from Kaibe and, oh, this seems interesting. Why, why do metals have this silver slash golden color? <laughs> when he asked that, I put it, um, <laughs> I put a little note that was like, I bet my inorganic chemistry professor thinks I should already know this. Mm. And I I couldn't find my organic chemistry, my inorganic chemistry textbook. It's um, up at the chemistry department. But pretty much all colors come from the same thing, which is, you know, what light can they absorb and what light can they reflect? Mm. And so I, that's what gives them color. But I do wonder about their shininess. And I tried to Google quickly, but I couldn't find any reputable sources. But there was... People theorizing about like, oh, the electrons have sort of like a, you know, the sea of electrons. That's why there's like all these theories, but I don't feel like any of them are 110% like that I felt confident about. Mm -hmm. So I was like, I don't know about, I don't know that I'm confident. So all that to say, I think this could be an episode topic in the future. Okay. Once I retrieve my inorganic chemistry textbook from the chemistry department. <laughs> Interesting. I mean, yeah, we have thought about color, like you said. So it's like there's a there is a a way we've addressed it without addressing specifically metals. Oh, but we haven't talked gold. about like why metals are shiny. I don't have yeah. a good I don't have a good reason for that. Just in just like handy and right. Some of the answers people gave, I was like, nah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't feel confident about that. So I'd like to do research and actually find out and. I have a rule just to keep our work-life balance that I don't do research for bonus episodes as much as possible. I'm about to break that rule for a future question. <laughs> Are you ready for this next one? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, this is from Hunter R., uh, one of our patrons, one of our the members of our Kim community. He's an H-Bunder patron, too. Heck yeah. H-Bunder. hung out on our coffee hour once or twice. Um. Hi, Melissa and Jam. I listened to your episode on learning styles over the break while on a long drive, just as you said in the episode. Isn't that fun? <laughs> That's awesome. And I thought I'd add something from the world of education. There does exist a more accepted way of thinking about the multidimensional ways in which people learn called the theory of multiple intelligences. First proposed by Howard Gardner in 1983 and added to by other scholars since. While the theory isn't without its criticisms, and exists as a theoretical model for the mind rather than an educational methodolo methodolo methodology <laughs> or scientific hypothesis. Quantitative research points to the use of the theory to guide instructional practices as having positive benefits in the classroom, and even more so when used in conjunction with other evidence-based practices such as project-based learning. You might have known about this theory already, of course, in your own studies on chemistry education. Okay, so... Um, this is a, this is a great topic. Thanks for writing this in Hunter. I was really excited to get this, but also I felt like I wanted to respond in a more thorough way. Cause this kind of touches on some other things that we haven't talked about yet that I think are important. And so this episode, just to give you a peek behind the scenes, we're recording this episode in 
December. We're trying to like get a little bit ahead for the holidays holidays, and for us to take some time off. And so um, we don't have a ton of fresh questions for people to ask about the newest episodes because they haven't come out yet. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I took this as an opportunity to turn this bonus into almost like a mini regular episode. Um, and so I wanted to talk about sort of intelligence as a whole. So I broke my own rule and did some research here. Nice. <laughs> um, but so something that I think is really important is a lot of this desire to measure intelligence and have theories about intelligence is it's really difficult to do. And a lot of it's the measurement started with the IQ test. And mm-hmm. have you listened to this episode of radio lab about this? They, they actually did so like a whole good. series called G yes. about radio lab presents G. Yeah. S. And then I also <laughs> watched, we've mentioned this guy um, before the YouTube channel Veritasium. Yes. Who is a chemist or er, physics education person. Yep. Mm-hmm. He did um, an episode about, IQ. It wasn't nearly as thorough, understandably. It was just like one episode, but it was really, really good, really fascinating. So shout out to those. The one that really stood out in my brain is called The Miseducation of Larry P. And that talks about how and why it's illegal to give black children IQ tests in the state of California. Oh. And so we can link that in our show notes. But but really the IQ test has a lot of links to racism and and even eugenics, which is um, like the pseudoscientific practice of trying to select basically for a better race of humans. Right, it's, right. it's very icky. Yep. And so a lot of that I don't like. The mm-hmm. idea of like labeling and measuring intelligence is really hard. But in this case, the theory of multiple intelligence, I think essentially it's just that there are different areas where, so oh, let me back up and say, intelligence according to this person is the ability to solve a problem and the theory of multiple intelligence is well then there are areas where you may be more able to solve a problem like musically or interpersonally or linguistically or spatially or mathematically than others and so there are different areas where you can be gifted or be more or less intelligent and i agree with that really to some degree because it feels like it makes sense. You know, it's like yeah. there are things that you can be good at and others, but just because it feels like it makes sense, I think learning styles does too. That doesn't necessarily mean it's scientifically true. So what I really appreciated that Hunter said is, you know, I feel like it, he, what did Hunter say? It has not without its criticisms, but mm-hmm. using it in the classroom along with other practices has positive results. And I really yeah. want to hone in on that idea of like, mm-hmm. Regardless of the scientific evidence of the theory, it did seem like there's evidence that the practice Mm -hmm. could be valuable. And I I think one big thing to take away from that, I'll talk about the evidence of the theory itself, but one big thing to take away is, you know, it might be really difficult to measure someone's intelligence, Mm -hmm. but especially because of the way in our society, the label of intelligence is built on like one specific type of knowledge in a lot of cases. And we have limited ways of assessing that. And usually from our one perspective. Yeah. And from a specific society in a specific time. It's yeah. like, like I think one of the <laughs> points that was made probably in the radio lab series, but definitely in the Veritasium video too, was like taking someone from a completely different society, maybe even from a different time to now they would maybe do horribly on an IQ test that we give, but 
what ways would we fail sort of their IQ test if they had yeah. one? Be like, oh, well, can we, how good are we at, you know, gathering herbs? And how good are we at, um, at surviving a certain climate in a certain place? Yeah. And how good is our knowledge of, you know, like, um, healing or sort of bandaging a certain wound in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Like these kinds of things are like, these are incredibly important things to know depending on your, like your life. Like, yeah. And they actually matter. Whereas like, can you do this math problem? Doesn't matter. You know? Yes. And, and I think what that is helpful in bringing out as an idea that I wanted to talk about that is researched by a friend of mine. Um, I hope I do justice to her paper because I didn't talk to her about this before, but the first time I ever met her, Mm -hmm. she's actually giving a talk about, you know, science education. And for a very long time, science education was, science was only done by white males. Mm -hmm. And as time has progressed and we've opened that up, well, the people who originally are doing it are the people who are making sort of like what the reason we have science tests and the reason, you know, the reason Mm -hmm. that we teach science the way we do cater to this one demographic of person. And as we've opened it up, it doesn't necessarily cater to more people. So it's like really well designed for the people who first were doing it. Mm -hmm. But anyone who doesn't fit in with that way of approaching or that way of thinking about things might have a harder problem. And so this paper that my friend Jenna was presenting on was all about um, sorry, <laughs> I got distracted. This paper that my friend Jenna was presenting on was all about, um, like the, there's sort of, they call them gaps or like disparities in performance between different mm. genders. And that actually by modifying the coursework to have it e- like different things be weighted equally instead of tests be really important and everything else be weighted less. Yeah that corrected for that. So there was iniquity built into the classroom just in the way that things were weighted yeah. because that was naturally going to benefit, you know, just for a number of reasons, whether that's biologically or based in the way that we, you know, are socialized, whatever it was benefiting males yeah. over females, but changing that didn't correct some of the other inequities in the system. So then the next question is what other inequities exist that perpetuate like certain people succeeding versus others. Yeah. Right. And so I think sometimes what I have a hard time with in talking about intelligence is that idea of we are looking at knowledge and intelligence and measuring it based on, you know, the people who have had success and power for a long time. They're the ones who decide, you know, who's intelligent Mm -hmm, or mm -hmm. what intelligence is or the thing that's the most important right now, you know, is like, decides who's intelligent or what intelligence is like, they don't need to know how to use smartphones or programming languages back then, but it was really important for them to know how to do cars. So they probably all think we're really stupid that we can't do it, work on our cars. Yes. Right. Things like that, that it's like, I, I love this theory of multiple intelligences because I do think it broadens educators minds up to thinking about what are the different ways that people might be considered intelligent instead of just like labeling a child as smart versus not. Mm -hmm. But I do wonder some about like, well, are these different intelligences? Is there, are we still slapping a label sort of? Right. Right. So that's a question that I have or just something that I thought about. So I, I like the idea that it's broadening up our mind, but I do try to be careful about that. Yeah. So those are all my thoughts, but I did want to talk because the way Hunter phrased it was more about like using it in the classroom and how it has positive effects. Yeah. 
But then I had to look at the theory itself. <laughs> so Yeah. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so I went and looked up the theory and what I found was a hot debate. Mm, I love a hot debate. Nice. So the most recent paper I found was a review, which is where someone goes and looks at a bunch of different articles and compiles all that and draws conclusions based on the body of work instead of just like one individual research experiment. Mm -hmm. And there was one in 2017 that gave good evidence. They said they found good evidence. But before that, in 2006, somebody put out a review and said there was not good evidence. Mm. And um, so many people pushed back on it that he had to publish a follow-up defending his position. Okay, so the follow-up defending his position made me laugh so hard that I'm just going to read it. This is like in a journal article, like a peer-reviewed journal. I, Waterhouse 2006, argued that because multiple intelligence, the Mozart artifact, and emotional intelligence theories have inadequate empirical support and are not consistent with cognitive neuroscience, these theories should not be applied in education. Proponents countered their theories that their theories had sufficient empirical support were consistent with cognitive neuroscience findings and should be applied in education. And then he lists three different papers published in that same year. Like people must have been so mad that they're just like putting out papers all in the uh -huh. same year. Uh -huh. And it's hard to get papers published that fast. Yeah. So the idea of that made me laugh really hard. And then he says, my reply addresses the, the proponents specific criticisms. So anyway, I thought that was funny that there was this like hot debate where it was mm -hmm. like, <laughs> one guy comes out and he's like, there's no evidence. And then three other people come back and they're like, you're wrong. And he's yeah. like, I got to defend myself. It's like a nice academic debate. Did So wait, wait, what year did you say that happened in? That is was it? 2006. Okay. Wow. Okay. So in 2017, there was another review that seemed to find more empirical evidence. But even in 2006, there was debate that people said that there was. Yeah. <laughs> and what I like about that is I think that's good science is like, people pushing back on theories and and calling other people to a higher standard and finding support. Mm -hmm. I mean, we've talked about that before, but that's sort of how the scientific process goes. So to me, it seems like the jury's still out, but there, there seems to be more evidence for it than against it yeah. right now. Um, and I think there's good things that we can take away from it. And I feel that way about a, a lot of theories. Like there is a lot of theories that I'm like, there's good things that we can take away from this and apply in our classrooms. There's others that I think do more harm than good. And mm -hmm. that's how I feel about learning theories. Mm -hmm. But this one I think is, is good to open our mind about what intelligence is a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think about all that? I basically just gave an impromptu lesson on intelligence. I mean, it seems like, like I can see people's motivation for wanting to study it and maybe find some standards of measuring it. Some people's motivations are good, I think, you know? Yeah. We clearly have tons of examples of people that had really bad motivations for it. And yeah. so much of the IQ stuff seems like that was one of the big starting points was kind of wanting to prove people are better than others, you know? Yeah. Based on other criteria. But it seems like it would be it could be beneficial, but um but how could we ever really quantify it? Especially knowing that like intelligence is not one thing or one right one discipline or one you know um even one specific science or whatever yeah um there was this great oh my gosh this went viral like a couple years ago okay um there's this great do you know the channel i think it's called jubilee you heard of this youtube channel no i don't think so okay so you know this is like 
not science, right? So just know that right right away. But they, they did this experiment in a social sense where they got like six, I think six or seven people uh-huh. that they specifically kind of chose people who were different from each other in various ways. This is here in the U.S. And they had them all talk to each other and and work together to rank what they thought each the, the group's IQ would be ranked from highest to lowest or whatever. Okay. So they all talk. They ask questions about, you know, what have you done? What level of education have you had? What kind of level of success have you had? What subjects are you strong in? That kind of stuff. So they to obviously don't all fully agree, but they come to a kind of consensus or mo- most people agree of the order they put them in. Uh-huh. One specific member of that group had a um, PhD and worked in um, an arena of like um, vaccines being made for something or something like that. Some, some A really cool space, basically, biomedical something. Um, and <coughs> and they, the group ranked her as like first or second, somewhere on there. It was a guy who had a college, who had just only finished his, finished high school and then had gone to the military for a time, I think, and come back out. But he, he hadn't been there very long or maybe he was still in there. I don't know. Um, but he, they all ranked him pretty low and he was actually kind of okay with that. You know, he was like, yeah, yeah, you know, maybe whatever. Like, and it turned out that he was actually second or third mm-hmm. when they took a, a st- pretty standard IQ test. <clears throat> Obviously that's not like the measure, right? Or great at measuring anything really. Right. Exactly. But you could think that maybe someone who's been in higher ed might test better too, you know, yeah. like just be a better test taker. And that's yeah. one of the things you can't always really pinpoint. So that person who had the PhD and and they'd ranked tw- uh, second actually was last. Yes. <laughs> yep. Yes. And it was just this interesting experiment where you people are making judgment about each other's like intelligence. Yeah. And then you at least measure it by a tool that is trying to measure it. And then everyone's wrong or like yeah. at least very likely wrong about one or two or three people. Yeah. And um, it was such a funny video. Like <laughs> just like, like watching it. Have the people be wrong about each other and the things that they said, having to eat their own words about stuff. Yeah. At least like, at least it being proven to you that you can't know, you yeah. know, and that your yeah. judgments are kind of, are a little bit fruitless and a little, yeah, you should just be careful about judging people's yeah. intelligence. Um, at all. At all. Yeah. And even using the IQ test, I love that because it's sort of like if you reject the premise that the IQ test was even right. It's like, this proves that maybe because this person went to school for a long time. So here's a good proof that the IQ test isn't right. But on the other side, like, you know, I have said that a lot that just because I'm an expert doesn't mean I know everything. And in some ways, I think I've spent so long in school thinking about chemistry Mm -hmm. and researching chemistry and like everything talking about chemistry that... Sometimes when a simple quote unquote question is presented to me that should just have a straightforward answer, I'm mm-hmm. like, I, I don't in good conscience, I can't answer that, mm-hmm. you know, or like mm-hmm. sometimes my friend, um, my, my friend and roommate who's, she's went back to school for chemistry and I would help her with her homework sometimes. And they would ask a question and I would be like, I know what answer they want to give you, but this question or like you to give, but this question is fundamentally flawed mm-hmm. because they're doing it based on a super boiled down not really accurate way of teaching something. And sometimes I think, yeah. So I just, I, 
I think that that is such a funny thing to happen because I don't think that people with PhDs are the smartest, like quote unquote, most intelligence people, whatever on intelligence is. Because I think, you know, like my husband, he went to a four-year school. He's an engineer. He's a really smart guy. He has more ability to problem solve in day-to-day life than I do. I've Mm. learned so much about problem solving being married to him more so than I did in school, if that's what we're going to call intelligence. Right. You know? Right. I have three more degrees than he has, but he, he is definitely better, you know? And, Mm -hmm. and they are similarly, like I know people who, who didn't graduate high school or who are like never finished college, who are really good at solving problems. And so I just think, yeah, I love the idea as educators of broadening your perspective on what could be intelligent and broadening your classroom practices it does not surprise me that that has a positive impact on student outcomes at all. So I like that Hunter wrote in about this theory and I like that it gave us this chance to talk about like what even is intelligence and how hard it is to measure that and how like, yeah, I don't, I've never taken an IQ test and I don't ever want to because I don't think it could actually accurately measure any type of intelligence, you know? And so yeah, and yeah. I think I think there's no at least I've thought about that a few times myself for taking one. I've thought like like either if I have like what's is seemed to be like a low score, I feel bad about myself and even if it's only measuring a certain kind of intelligence, I feel sort of like, oh, I guess I can't be blah blah blah, you know, and like maybe things that are hard for me, I can never overcome it and stuff like yeah. that. Or you get a good score and you think like Pfft, I'm awesome. You know, like, <laughs> it seems like neither outcome's good. Like, I either think too highly of myself. Yeah. Or I think, you know, like, I'm, I think I'm limited in some way. Yeah. Isn't it kind of nice not to know? And just it's be like, measuring just, you against a fake standard of right, like right. a group of people, white males predominantly, like at the time that the IQ test was made, how well they did on this test and you're based on an average of that. Well, those people didn't even look at cell phones. So like yeah. cell phones didn't exist, you know? <laughs> and so there's so much that you're like, this is how, how intelligent I am on what scale compared to who mm-hmm. it, it just isn't, it just isn't real. It's yeah. fake. Yep. It's fake. It's not real. It sort of reminds me of like how, pilots <laughs> so there's like all this research on how pilots are like not doing well in their seats that were made for the average person and then they made adjustable seats mm-hmm, you know and it's mm-hmm. like oh then pilots did a lot better you know yeah. because there is no average person right it doesn't fit everyone yeah yeah and that's true for intelligence too it's based on a the average intelligence of no one yep. <laughs> you know? yeah and i think that's not to say like <laughs> Obviously, in education, having ways to like grade stuff and like measure how well someone's doing in a subject, like that matters. Yeah. You know, but like, and trying to cater that to, as best as you can to people is great. You can't make it fit everybody. So there's always going to be people who, yeah. honestly, they're just going to get a bad grade in science <laughs> and they may not even want a good grade in it. They need to, if they can get enough, know the material well enough to pass, great. So it's like, we don't need everyone to get an A, you know? It also, so I guess I have two kind of thoughts too, is there is some evidence that a lot of assessments aren't testing what we think they're testing Mm. in science. So like (laughs) a lot of multiple choice questions are not actually testing how well do you know the material? It's how good are you at taking a multiple choice test, which is 
kind of different. Yeah. That's for like the, you saying they're waiting the assignments <laughs> yeah. and the grade and like the test less makes total sense to yeah. me. Yeah. But you still may have someone who doesn't do as well. Right. And but then, it's like at least maybe you're, it's more accurate though. Right. And that my second thought when you said that is like people who might not even want to do well is success looks different for every person. And, mm -hmm. and I think like, you know, I have students who take organic chemistry and they have kids and they have jobs and they work so hard and they have a pretty good understanding, but they aren't able to learn every single little detail of it and they get to be, and that is fine for their, that's like amazing considering all the things they're balancing. And then students who have no other job, but to be students and they can spend hours and hours studying and they can get an A and mm -hmm. like, that's because they don't have a lot of other responsibilities. And so I try to always encourage my students too of like, there is success is different for every person and you can do the best you can do with the tools you have right now. Mm -hmm. And that's it. Mm -hmm. And if you can do that, that's enough to be proud of. Yeah. <coughs> <coughs> Sorry. <laughs> I got heated. I'm, <laughs> I'm so passionate about um, encouraging my students that, I um, got heated and now my cough came in one, one out for a minute. So <laughs> let me just cough here for a second. <coughs> anyway, so all that to say <laughs> that I think it's dangerous to label someone as intelligent by any means, but I do love the idea that we can be the, they're gifted in different areas. And it does seem like there is some evidence for the idea that mm -hmm. there are multiple intelligence and, and shaping your classroom practices to expand that can be valuable. Mm -hmm. There does seem to be some evidence for that based on what I found. Yeah. So I think that's great. And, um, yeah, I hope that was interesting. And you guys go check out the, um, the radio lab series. We'll link it in our show notes. Yeah. Okay. So the next question is actually for jam and that will give me a chance to rest my voice. Nice. This came from Jeanette on YouTube and she said, Please, Jam, tell us your favorite recipes for kombucha. I love kombucha, and some of my favorite are lemon and blueberry. I've had good luck putting lavender in with some things, and I like ginger, grapefruit, and lime. So <clears throat> take it away, Jam, while I recover my voice. I saw this comment, too. It was on, yeah, on YouTube, and I thought about trying to comment it there, and I kept being like, oh, I need to remember what I used to make and all that kind of stuff, and also I have to sit down and like type it out. So this is perfect that I get to do it here instead. Maybe and I'll do I did it. comment back to Jeanette and tell them, hey, nice. I'm going to ask Jam this on the February Q&R. Nice. Excellent. Okay, cool. So here's what I remember doing. And here's a couple of my, both my recipes and some of my like, what would you say? Uh, strategies? I don't know. Um, and our, our friend Ryan, who I mentioned when we talked about kombucha last time, that I um, would do kombucha with, we kind of piece some of this together um, and t tried out different things. But I love doing ginger as well. Ginger was like, I basically didn't do a kombucha that didn't have ginger in it. I felt mm. like it just added so much depth to the flavor. Um, occasionally I would, but I'd always be like, oh, I wish this had ginger in it. You know, like yeah. as I experimented. So that's like obviously a taste preferences thing. But um, I found- Ginger's also good for you. It's great for you. Yep. And you could, you know, vary the strength and stuff like that. You could probably do a little bit in every single recipe and it not ever be a bad thing. I would do a lot though. <laughs> so what I did, I would do like strawberry ginger, um, ginger lime you, you said you liked lime 
sometimes I would do like a mixed berry and ginger. But the way I would do this is I would buy fruit. Um, and honestly, depending on where you are and like what you have access to, sometimes frozen fruit is really good for this because they typically <laughs> freeze fruit at like the perfect time. Yeah. I don't know if you noticed that. If you ever use frozen fruit for something, some for some things it's not, not great to use it for. It's like the worst because as it melts, it's all juicy. But for kombucha, that's not bad. Um, and what I would do is I would blend up. I'd cut off all the, you peel the ginger, cut it up into smaller pieces. Then I'd blend it up all together, all the ginger and the um, the fruit. And I would add some sugar in there as well because you need a, you want a little bit for the second fermentation. And I would blend it all up and then pour it through a nut milk bag, which is just really like a like a reusable filter bag um, that you'd normally use to make like almond milk or something like that. Will like cheesecloth work, you think? It might. Um, cheesecloth is, I'm like, I don't want to use that. Every time people are like, use cheesecloth, I'm like, no, I'm going to find another way. Why? Because cloth and nut book, <laughs> nut book bags are like, like a much I love I love sturdier. getting the hot take from Jam. Well, yeah, people say using it. I'm like, I remember <gasps> people said they use that for like um, filtering for cold brew too. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, there's better things out there to use. Like cheesecloth. Also, like people probably think that to a time when people just maybe had that on hand. Yeah. But nut we milk bags are great because you can put, you can pour it into a, it's a bag and it has a thing that closes and then you can kind of like squeeze it out and stuff like that. And it's just only the, the, the liquid's going to come out. Um, it's Is pretty it incredible. cloth? No. It's actually, I I think it, I don't know what it is. I have it. I can show you later. Weird. I don't, it's kind of stiff, like a, like stiffer than cloth would be, but it's, it's definitely a woven thing, but I can't tell if it's like, is it wire or is it? Is it woven? Because you know, those bags that look woven, like, um, like reusable grocery bags, a lot of times those are actually polymers. Hmm, it could be. And they're called non-woven, hmm. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. It looks woven, but yeah, you're right. It could be. Interesting. So I'd run it through that. And then what I would do, because I wasn't trying to add just a ton of liquid to the kombucha for the second fermentation, I would put it on the stove mm. and kind of reduce it down a bit. I'll let it simmer. It also felt to me like the ginger stuff would kind of like like mingle better and I don't know, come out more. I don't know what to say there. Um, but what, But the reason I started doing that is also because the initial kind of basic way a lot of people get into adding flavor to kombuchas, which is totally fine, it's just like literally adding pieces of fruit and pieces of ginger into the bottle. After? Uh, after the first fermentation, but okay. for, the, for the second fermentation oh, okay. and a little bit of sugar maybe. Um, but then you have pieces of stuff in there and some of these sort of like um, bacteria and yeast can start to grow on that. Oh, yeah. and, it's, and it's really not bad, but it just like isn't the most appetizing for people. Yeah. So I liked having, trying to get a really concentrated flavorful liquid yeah. of stuff to put in the bottles for the second fermentation. And then it kind of didn't have as much of a chance of forming a little, little tiny scoby on top of it. Yeah. Um, and there wasn't, just wasn't anything floating around in there anyway. So like when you get some ginger hanging out in just a bottle for a while, depending yeah, on how, when there's floaties on the bottom. Yeah. But depending on how long sweet. it takes you to drink it, it gets, yeah, kind of weird. So I, that's what I would do, but I loved doing berry related stuff with uh, ginger. And then um, I think I did 
like a peach ginger one one time, but it was easier to get my hands on good berries, you know, pretty much any time of year. Yeah. Peaches, like from really good peaches, you know, only certain season, uh, at least here in Texas or whatever. But, um, but I think exploring like the way you try to get the flavors sort of concentrated and filtered and whatever else like that, venturing into that stuff, it gets messy and it takes more work. <laughs> but I think it made like kind of took my kombucha to another level uh, when I started doing that and it felt very worth it. So I think messing with that would be really fun. And you can also buy like what we use now for like seltzers and stuff. We buy like um, real concentrated extracts of fruits. And I've wondered if I got back into kombucha, if I used some of that, if that would be good, how that would work and how much I would need to do and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I feel like that is kind of a cool thing is, you can get it to be very flavorful without adding needing to add a ton of it to it, and you kind of get this great best of both worlds kind of situation. Um, but you do need to add some more sugar to it. Well, so. I don't make kombucha, but I love the pink lady apple mm. kombucha flavor. Apple, that's a good one. We did do apple actually. Apple ginger. <laughs> apple ginger I bet is that was good. Really good. Especially like a fall kind of Yeah. You know? I like, I think, so I like Pink Lady Apple because they're a good mix of tart and sweet. And if you have never had Pink Lady Apples, I'm out here to tell you, they're the best. Mm. They're so good. I have a really clear memory when I was like, probably in high school. I was like, oh, mom, look, they have Pink Lady Apples. You love Pink Lady Apples. And she was like, I don't love Pink Lady Apples. You three, like me and my brother and sister, wouldn't eat apples when I bought them unless they were pink lady uh-huh. apples. <laughs> so I have that like memory that I thought she loved them because she'd always get excited, but she was just excited because it was a way to get us to eat mm-hmm. apples. And that's pretty exclusively like that. And maybe some honey crisp is like oh, yeah. the only apple I'll do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've brought apples to other people and slice them up and they'll be like, Oh, this is a good apple. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, it's pink lady. Welcome yeah. to the club. Anyway. So, there's a pink lady kombucha flavor that I really, really love. That's probably nice. my all time favorite. It's like in the amber bottles at mm-hmm, the store, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. the ones. So, and then there's the other, there's like a, a brand of kombucha that they tried every flavor of on Retin Lake. Oh, yeah. Like GT. Yeah, GT. Yeah. That one's got some okay flavors, but I like the other one better. I think it might be Health Aid brand. Yeah. GT, in my experience, <laughs> I've not been impressed with. No, Just- me neither. We have a brand, I think it's actually a Fort Worth, I think their their main like bottling place is in Fort Worth, called Holy Kombucha. They're super good. Is I that have, the one that's an amber bottle that has Pink Lady on it? I don't know. There's another mm. brand um, that's really good too. I can't remember what it is, but Holy Kombucha is kind of local and it's all their flavors are good. I haven't had one of theirs that's mm. not good. It's so. a Health Aid brand is the one I like. I'm looking up Holy Kombucha. I didn't know they were local. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I have seen those. Well, I my favorite of all time is Health Aid Pink Lady Apple Kombucha. Nice. So. nice. That was a fun foray into um, kombucha. Are yeah. you glad that we're talking about one of your other favorite drinks? Yeah, and I, it's making me want to get back into it. So you guys might just trick me into doing it. And I know for a fact you could get Mason. You could trick Mason into doing it with you. I mean, That'd be you really know. fun. <laughs> you already hang out and roast coffee. You could just hang out and do yeah. this too. Yeah, definitely. So great. That was a good question. Yeah. Thanks, that was good. Jeanette. I hope I said your name right. Jeanette or Jeanette or Jeanette. Yeah. Hard to say. 
Okay. Oh, this one's interesting. Ready for this one from Samwise? Yes. What's your favorite condiment? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's ketchup. Mm, nice. I like but but what counts as a condiment? I I think Well like, what what are you wondering about? I also really like Valentina. Salt, I think that's a condiment. Does salt and pepper count? They're just like spices. I think spices. I think condiments are liquid. That's, okay. That's where I would draw that line. Or at least amorphous solids. <laughs> right, right. They are not a sort of granule or dried out herb. Okay, or okay, like okay. That, yeah, know? I think it's between ketchup and Valentina because it depends on what I'm eating. Yeah. I mean, and that feels like a little kid answer, but like, if I'm going to get chicken nuggets mm-hmm, mm-hmm. at a place or a hamburger, yeah. I want ketchup and mustard on the hamburger, but I dip I dip my fries usually in my nuggets in ketchup. Yeah, right. And But I do like Valentina on like breakfast foods, eggs, sometimes on popcorn, mm-hmm. you know? So it just, so both of those are like, those are probably my top two. Yeah, that's good. I, I have two also. Um, that I would say, I love barbecue sauce a lot, which has ketchup in it, and I also love ketchup. It has ketchup in barbecue sauce. Oh yeah, I don't have a clue what's in barbecue sauce. I'm not in the barbecue sauce community. It's good. I mean, like I don't remember when this happened. I feel like sometime in like late high school, I was like, "Whoa, barbecue sauce is like <laughs> way more complex than like ketchup." But I was a huge ketchup kid growing up. I know. I feel like uh, like a little bit of a kid saying yeah. that. Yeah, I mean it's good. I, I used love ketchup. To put ketchup in my chili, and I love spicy ketchup. The uh, the Whataburger spicy ketchup. Ooh, I mm. love that. So good. It takes ketchup to a new level. But barbecue sauce really has my heart. I could probably do like, if you were like, yeah, you can't have anything else on your burgers, your chicken tenders, your French fries, for the rest of your life. You have to pick one only. Barbecue sauce would be what I would go with. But another condiment that I, has my heart is. This jalapeno salsa, I think it goes by a few different names, but it's like at, at Taquerias, it'd be like this like green, like a pale green yes, sauce. I know exactly what you're talking about. That stuff is so good. We finally, we found a brand of that we can get on a reliable basis, like in a bottle. Um, and so we always have that what at our house. What brand is it? It is, I think the brand is called Holic, H-O-L-I-C. Okay. Like, like I'm a chocoholic or whatever, okay. you know. Um, and they make a few different sauces like that. That's obviously not the only place you could buy it or get it or whatever, but like getting a, a several bottles of it so it'll stay good. We can have it in the pantry, that kind of stuff. That's what the, the challenging thing there. And what is it called? Uh, they call it jalapeno sauce. Jalapeno sauce. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I'm sure there's like a more accurate name for that. And like we used to would save the little, like little tiny... Uh, Things you'd get at the taqueria? Mm-hmm. And we would... Keep those, but they don't. They only keep for so long or whatever. And it was like also a tiny amount. So I was like, well, we want to have breakfast stuff. Yeah, I want to have that right in my yeah. in my fridge all the time. Um, Trader Joe's also has a version of it. Theirs is quite good too. Um, quite quite good. Yes, but that is one of my favorite sauces. It's really spicy. It's creamy. That's it's just got one. such a great flavor to it. And if you're like, you can only have one thing on your tacos for the rest of life. That's what I pick. I think I would do like a tomatillo salsa. Mm. I, as I've gotten older, I'm like, the green salsas are better. Mm-hmm. But they're also risky because they could have the really hot. Mm-hmm. What are the really hot green peppers? Not jalapenos, but like one step above that. Like hatch green chilies. Is that the hot one? No, they're not hot. They're not hot. Yeah. There's something that they sometimes have in green salsas that it's like, 
Could be, could be not. <laughs> habaneros are spicier than jalapenos. Maybe it's that. But I don't know if they're green. I don't, that's a good question. Nothing. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but anyway, so that that would be my answer. Yeah, I feel like that's a good one. That's definitely a good one. <clears throat> well, I think that wraps us up for the questions, but I did pull a comment that I think is really fun off of YouTube of someone giving some positive feedback because we like to, you know, shout out our good reviews. So do you mm-hmm. want to read this one from Swagcat? Yes, I, I'd love to. Swagcat on YouTube said, I'm super glad one of your shorts came up. I listened to the podcast on Spotify and you guys cover really cool topics. The PFAS episodes got me into y'all and more into the subject. Great job on those. That was just so nice. Yeah. Thank you, Swagcat. Thanks for the encouragement. That was awesome. Yeah. And I can imagine that would be fun. Like if I listened to a podcast and then I was swiping and their shorts came up, Mm -hmm. that'd be like, oh, and shorts is on YouTube. They have like short one minute videos that we've been like just clipping some of our YouTube videos so you can get little like one one minute clips and because we're we're still we've only been on youtube less than a year in terms of like putting our video putting videos versions of our episodes over there it's like our our audience that listens to the audio is like so much larger yeah there's kind of there's got to be people more people like swag cat that are like have zero idea they could watch yeah our show even though we talked about it but like it's just kind of cool to think like oh wait they have video yeah That's i cool. also i don't watch a lot of my podcasts like, right i'm like i don't want to watch two people talking really mm-hmm. but i do sometimes watch their shorts if it comes up or like on tiktok sometimes if it comes up because i'm like oh i remember that story it's funny to see what they look like or like it's fun yeah. to see like you know so i totally get that like oh their reactions i can see it in real time so i totally get that for sure yeah all right well i think that's everything for today thank you all this is our last episode that we're recording before we go on our holiday break mm-hmm. so um, it feels kind of like, a, oh, I won't see you for a while. Yeah. We won't, we won't talk to y'all for a while. <laughs> yeah. So, um, we'll talk. We, we might, but we won't see each other. We won't record. Yeah. For a little bit, but yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I guess I just want to say thanks for all your questions and for writing in and sharing your thoughts. It really makes us so happy and, and we love that we get to interact with y'all. And thank you, yes, for sending those questions. Some of them turn into full-blown episodes. And so we love hearing those from you guys. If you have a question, thought, idea, follow-up question from an episode, correction, whatever, you've seen those those today. Our questions kind of ran the gamut of that stuff. So you can you can send those to us on our website at chemforyourlife.com. That's chem, F-O-R, yourlife.com. Share your thoughts and ideas. If you'd like to help us keep our show going, contribute to cover the cost of making it, you can go to patreon.com slash Kim for your life and join our super cool Kim community of patrons. If you're not able to do that though, you can still help us by subscribing on our favorite podcast app, rating, writing review on Apple podcasts, and also subscribing on our YouTube channel. Those things help us to share chemistry with even more people. This episode of chemistry for your life was created by Melissa Clini and Jim Robinson. Jim Robinson is our producer. And this episode was made possible by our financial supporters on Patreon. It means so much to us that you want to help make chemistry accessible to even more people. Those people are Avishai B, Brie M, Brian K, Chris and Claire S. And this is almost Chris's birthday when we're recording. Happy birthday, Chris. Chelsea B, Derek L, Elizabeth P, Emerson W, Hunter R, Jacob T, Christina G, Katrina H, Latila S, Lynn S, Melissa P, Nicole C, Rachel R, Sarah M, Stephen B, Shadow, Suzanne P, Timothy P, and Venus R. Thank you again for everything you do to make Chemistry for Your Life happen. Seriously, it means so much to us that 
we get to do this and that we get to make chemistry more accessible for so many people. And extra special thanks to Brie, who often creates illustrations to go along with our episodes of chemistry, uh, chemistry for your life. And you can see that on our YouTube. Yay, chemistry. Yay, chemistry. Yay, chemistry.